This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. But immediately we went into a mode of putting up plexiglass, shower curtains, um, some places we put up drywall, things like that to provide individual space for people. And then um, those who could work away, right at the beginning, we, we had them work away. That's Sam Cargi with A.O. Smith talking about managing through the COVID-19 pandemic and lessons learned in the crisis. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're with us for the first time, well, we are so glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. In this episode, we hear from Amanda Moore, a member of the WQA Board of Governors, former WQA President Sam Cargi, and WQA Executive Director Pauli Undusser, as they talk about managing through the crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic. They spoke with me during a recent WQA Essentials webinar, and we'll hear a portion of that discussion during this episode of WQA Radio. Now, on to my conversation with Amanda Moore, Sam Cargi, and Polly Undusser on WQA Radio. Amanda, Sam, Polly, thank you for joining us, and let's get started with our with our discussion about the lessons learned from the COVID pandemic, the things that forced, I'm sure, all of us to us to do swift changes to managing remote teams while protecting essential workers at the office, in the field, and at a manufacturing facility or lab. So, I'd like to fold two questions into one to begin with, and I'll start with you, Amanda. Tell us a little bit about you and your company. And then also in those early days of the stay-at-home orders, uh, just more or less what was keeping you up at night as uh, as you worked to adjust to the new situation that you faced? Uh, I'm with Atlantic Filter. So we're a 65-plus year uh, OEM distributor. We also have a retail um, dealer business. We're down in Palm Beach County, South Florida, uh, which was one of the first counties to end up in that tri-county area in South Florida with uh, the shutdowns and whatnot. Um, And I'm vice president there. So when you ask uh, what kept us up at night at everything, it was so quick moving down here. Palm Beach County was, it was one of the first counties to shut down. And um, we had a retail showroom, a distribution center, a customer service center. We vend water here. And all of a sudden you walk in one day and they say, that's it. We're shutting down at 3 p.m. this afternoon. Um, when we were looking at shutdown down here, we didn't even have clarity on whether or not we were an essential business at this point. Um, so we really were just, it's, you just get the brakes thrown on and all of a sudden the world stops. Um, WQA was able to, within, I don't know, 12 or 13 hours of our shutdown, we had the clarity that we needed. We knew that we were essential, uh, that we were going to be able to continue on. Um, and so at that point, we kind of took a deep breath and figured out, all right, how are we going to do this? You always think, I know I always did. We have these hurricane plans down here in Florida and just 
all right, we've got this. We know what we're going to do when we have a hurricane. We know what we're going to do um, if our building blows down. But I absolutely had no idea what I was going to do with a pandemic that there's not anything in the books that says, you know, how to do this. Um, so I made a lot of phone calls to colleagues, um, other business owners in the area. Hey, what are you going to do? Talk to other people in the industry. Um, what do you think about this? And then the other awesome thing was that at the same time, WQA was just pumping out all of this information, CDC guidelines, um, forums that I could give my employees to travel on the road because it would have taken so much time for me to be able to put all of that in place um, while handling all of this. So the interesting thing was, you know, we started pulling a plan together and whatnot. Um, and what we realized right away was that our phones were ringing more than ever. Um, everybody was calling and saying, what do I do? I need my water. I need this. Um, and I started to realize, like, as you take a deep breath, there was a lot of strong indicators that the water treatment industry, we were probably going to be able to navigate through this and make it through um, if we could just put in a plan. And we've evolved and, and done that. But in the beginning, it was until you know that you're going to be okay and you're going to be able to continue to operate. It was really nerve wracking. Thanks, Amanda. Sam, how about you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, as uh, as you said, Wes, I'm with A.O. Smith. You know, very different experience than what Amanda saw. You know, we've got uh, nearly 14,000 employees globally in more than 100 different locations. So we had lots of things going on simultaneously across the globe. What really kept us up at sleep, up at, at night from not sleeping was really built around just the lack of credible information. You know, at one point in time, if you guys remember back in early March, you know, reports out of Asia was that there was a 10% uh, death rate on this thing, you know, at one point in time, and that this was a death sentence. So was, everybody was kind of in freak out mode for a while there. And as we know now that it's, it's far less than that, while still very serious. And I think, you know, really what has come around is using the, you know, latest information that we have. And Probably mid to late March, we decided with all the conflicting stories, we were going to use kind of the CDC website as the primary driver for what we what we consider to be what we would base our actions on. And once we started doing that, it got much clearer. You know, when they recommended that we wear face masks, we suddenly implemented that across the corporation. When they said it's time to do this or time to do that, that's when we went and did it. You know, all the time you hear Duke University said this or John Hopkins said this or Mayo Clinic said this until it was embodied by the, uh, the CDC, we, we bet that that's when we really started to adopt those, those concepts into it. So that uncertainty up front was really brought to, to bear by when we just kind of said, this is what we're gonna align to, it's the most credible source and uh, kind of drive from there. So it really helped us get through. But the, you know, the challenge is we had multiple states, you know, Texas had a lockdown, Wisconsin didn't, you know, Ohio had a lockdown before anybody else did. Lots of different things going on. It was always about aligning everything so um, really just, just picking one information source and sticking with that consistency consistently really helped. Good point on the CDC, and that's why we were recommending that uh, those guidelines as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you, Sam. And Paulie, now your perspective. Here you are uh, running the WQA, which is speaking on behalf of and representing the entire water treatment industry. How do things go from your perspective? 
Yeah, so, you know, many folks may not know how many employees we have at WQA. Um, we're just over 60. So, you know, we're not a huge organization, but enough that, you know, you can't just call everybody on the phone and say, hey, we're not coming into work today. We're doing something else. Um, but in the you know early days for us, we actually started back in January, um, as I'm sure some other organizations, you know, that are global or international is once China started seeing things, we started watching it because it was impacting WQA business that's done in China, as well as our members who are doing business in China. So uh, I would say, yeah, the sleepless nights started in January or so. And, you know, you kind of got through that. But then once the, it really hit the United States, uh, that's when we had two big factors that we had to look at. One, we had our own convention. Uh, so we had to figure out what to do with, you know, 3,600 people descending on Orlando for our convention and what to do about that. So, you know, that was, you know, precedent number one, fortunate or unfortunate. We've gone through that in a smaller scale with the hurricane a few years ago in our mid-year leadership conference. So luckily I could put that over to staff quite a bit and then focus on the essential worker side of things. So working on the staff side as well as the industry and defining essential worker was absolutely priority number one for us. Sam, I'm going to start with you on this one. So you had, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, a very, very large number of employees and some work remotely, but others did not have that option, I'm sure. How did you manage concerns about safety for those people who did not have that option to work remotely? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we have over 14,000 employees globally that we had to ensure safety uh, for. And really from the very get-go, uh, as far back as early March when we started talking about this, we immediately went into in priority. Safety was number one, you know, and our customers, keeping them in product was number two before everything else in terms of production quality, uh, not, not quality, but, uh, you know, profits, all that. We put that aside, really said safety is first and foremost. And uh, really um, took a stand right from the beginning. We were going to err on the side of caution. Uh, we had very strict rules about uh, contact exposure, uh, signs up. If you have any of the symptoms, don't come into the building from the very get-go. Uh, probably ended up having most of our people wearing masks far before that was uh, in vogue, you know, and, uh, and recommended and uh, literally follow the six foot guideline. Now understand large corporations, it's all about lean and taking space out of it. So 20 years of lean exercises as, as a corporation make it difficult. You know, literally a, a year ago, we spent a bunch of money making our cubicles a little bit tighter to get more people into a smaller space. And now we had to undo that. But immediately we went into a mode of putting up plexiglass, shower curtains, um, some places we put up drywall, things like that to provide individual space for people. And then um, those who could work away right at the beginning, we, we had them work away. Uh, luckily, we made investments in IT systems so people can work remotely. Um, you know, I can operate as if I was at my desk using the phone and everything else on my computer, no matter where I am in the world at this point in time, through the systems that we put into place. So it allowed us to take our entire call center and move that out. That's a lot of people in a small area. And that way, we kept just those essential people that were tied to production and quality and and things like that, kept them in the factory, had everybody else working out there. That allowed us to get through kind of that two or three month period. And then honestly, starting as, as far back as around Memorial Day, we started the process of reintegrating our, 
our people back into the building safely. And we, much like the states have done, we've taken steps along the way, uh, put up safety equipment, put up ways for people to uh, have social distance in all of the different areas, whether it be common areas like washrooms or in um, kitchens, things like that. And they really got everything else set up very, very well. So, uh, you know, safety was paramount, kind of aired on the side of, of doing more rather than less and, uh, you know, kept consistent about what we did across the country, um, you know, and it, it worked out or has worked out very, very well so far. Only how about you? How about uh, things at WQA when it came to safety as well as remote uh, workforce? Yeah, so, you know, luckily WQA, about 90% of us could work from home, you know, very seamlessly and easily. Uh, we had put in a lot of technology aspects that uh, we needed, again, from that international perspective of being able to connect with people, you know, visually in different areas across the world. So we just applied that to the organization and it made people, you know, forced to use some of those that maybe only dealt with the domestic side of our business. Um, so that transition was, you know, pretty straightforward. But when it came to the building and looking at anybody going back into the building, uh, we definitely were absolutely very conservative on that. So we have about eight people that work in our laboratory and our facility, and we needed them to continue being able to do that to support our clients and our members and continue the work that WQA does in our laboratory. And unfortunately, we haven't built those out in homes yet. We tried, but not yet. <laughs> so. Uh, we've been very protective and slow to look at going back. So, so far we've only allowed need-based requests to go back into the office and we have questionnaires that they have to fill out daily. Uh, there's temperature checks every day. We have all of the social distancing in place and um, probably about every poster you could imagine across the organization, you know, telling you where you can wash your hands versus wash dishes and, you know, those types of things. So, uh, we're very, very uh, restrictive about who goes into our building, even if they're a contractor or a client who needs to set up a, a system, they still have to meet all of our questionnaire criteria and follow all of those guidelines as well. Um, so for WQA, going back to the office, uh, we've been watching uh, the state we're in, which is Illinois, but also across the United States, those that have opened up quicker than Illinois, you know, where are they going? And most of those numbers are going up. So we, we're just kind of hanging tight, business is going well. So uh, we're, we're trying not to disrupt those that are in the building and keep them as protected and safe as possible so they can continue their work too. Amanda, anything further on that? Well, I think we're, we're an interesting juxtaposition to, to both Polly and Sam on this because we, as a, as a retail store with walk-in traffic and a distribution center with wholesale customers coming in and then having service technicians out on the road. Um, the reality is, is that most of us, 90% of us have been in the office the entire time. Um, we're very lucky that this office lends itself to social distancing. We have way too much space that is underutilized, <laughs> nothing lean about it, but um, we've been able to you know, space everybody out inside of the office. In the beginning, we pulled all of our at-risk employees um, immediately out of the field. We really rolled back in here and said, we got to figure out a way who's going to be able to go out and what your level of comfort is. We had employees who had um, spouses with compromised immune systems. And this is kind of a benefit of a smaller company. We're really able to take these things into account and try to make the situation work for everybody to their level of comfort. 
Um, once we had kind of all the PPE and the sanitization things in place, we started going back out. And that was really one of the most challenging things that we've done is have the service department and the service technicians and the installers go back into homes because it's a leap of faith. Uh, we really talk to our customers about if they've been well, if they've traveled, if they are high risk. Um, we're trying to protect our employees and our customers at the same time. We've actually pulled way back out of doing um, business further down south in the state, Broward County, and especially Miami-Dade right now, because the numbers are triple, quadruple, whatever we have here. And um, we've, we've told people, like, we're going to postpone that a little bit here. We're not declining, but we are postponing at this point. We need to get to a better state before we feel confident sending our employees down there. So I think being smaller here, we've been able to just make more specific and, you know, more individualized um, decisions on a case-by-case -case basis. Great. This next question, I'll start with Polly, but again, for everybody, what have you been doing to try to maintain and strengthen even, if you can, relationships with clients, customers, Polly, with members, um, when you can't see them in person? Yeah. For us overall, it's definitely leveraging the technology, as I, I can imagine everybody is doing this day. I mean, here we're using Zoom for this. Um, our, our first week of staying at home, I think every meeting we tried out a new piece of technology. We, we got staff used to what are all the bells and whistles on this technology. Um, but, you know, again, luckily we had already been using some of those internationally for our um, our staff talking to clients and members internationally. Um, what was a big focus for us though was zeroing in on what was the technology to use. So we didn't have to bounce around to different ones and try to you know, be experts at all of them. So for our staff, we did settle on you know, Microsoft Teams is what we were going to use as a staff. But for some of the larger events that we do, like this webinar, we would utilize Zoom for some of those items. So we, we started to be very selective and direct about the technology that we use so that we could be you know, more experts at those than trying to be an expert at everything. Um, but I would also say that I've probably had more telephone calls as well because some of our clients and members are like, I'm tired of being on video. So can you please just call me? <laughs> And uh, so I've seen that fatigue from the technology side as well. And I would tell you that even though I had a lot of calls before, I'm probably doing even more calls now for the people that are like, can we just talk for a little bit instead of being on a call? <laughs> but we do a lot of both. Amanda. So Polly, actually the last part that you said, it rings so true. Um, we have, a, you, know, you have tons of customers. You have thousands of customers over however long you've been in business and and the first thing they want to know is are you there are you still answering your phone are you going to pick up the phone today i'm just going to call once a week to make sure atlantic filter hasn't disappeared in the pandemic and so being able to um we do have remote phones and whatnot but being able to answer the phones and let our customers know our existing customers because that's was our first priority was our existing customers let them know that we're there we're going to be there if they a pump goes down and they don't have water or if they need their filters changed and whatnot i just really understood that i've never seen our customers were making this emergency plan and one of their largest concerns was about if they were going to have 
drinking water in the case of, you know, of this lockdown. And so they wanted to know that they had that peace of mind that we were there. Um, and I really feel like every customer that we've spoken to and explained our processes and the precautions we're taking and asked about their well-being, um, they appreciate it, knowing that you're taking the extra step uh, and, and, and protecting them as best you can while taking care of them. So. Great. Thank you. Sam? Same thing. Uh, technology, Zoom, Microsoft Teams. There's a uh, call center software called Five9. All of these have allowed us to have people all around the country talking to customers all across the board. And uh, in some cases, I think there has actually been an improvement in um, um, the ability for people to, to communicate just because you can talk to more people in a day when you're not physically traveling. And that was a portion of a recent WQA Essentials webinar with Sam Cargi, Amanda Moore, and Paulie Undusser. You can watch the entire webinar and see other past webinars by going to wqa.org slash webinars. This is Kathleen Burbage, WQA's Global Regulatory and Government Affairs Manager with your regulatory update. Last time, I highlighted three new maximum contaminant levels adopted by the state of New York for 1,4-Dioxane, PFOA, and PFOS. Michigan has followed suit in wanting to adopt its own MCLs instead of waiting for a federal regulation to be adopted. Michigan has moved forward with adopting seven MCLs for PFAS compounds. The lowest levels of the seven are six parts per trillion for PFNA and eight parts per trillion for PFOA. In keeping an eye on state actions to create MCLs for emerging contaminants, this helps in understanding concerns of a state and its residents. You can look up MCL regulations by state on WQA's Regulatory Info Search, a newly published international trends report on drinking water quality standards around the world, will also give you an opportunity to see what differences and similarities there are to U.S., MCLs, and other countries. This has been Kathleen Burbage for WQA Radio. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio. WQA Radio.